right. Good morning, church family. Glad you are here with us. And today is your first time. It's good to have you here for joining us online. I know some of you are at home watching, and you let me know that. And so uh, it's good to have you joining us as well. Today, we're going to wrap up our series called Dealing with Sin. How many of you guys are glad that's over with and are almost over with? No more talking about sin, my sin, our sin. Um, Next week, uh, I haven't fully landed on the title yet, but I'm going to continue in the same thought of changing the way that we think, and I think the title is going to be, we're going to go through this idea of rethinking religion, and uh, we're going to talk about how Jesus walked into the universe and into the earth and was constantly helping people rethink their religion, and so uh, probably that's going to be the title of it, I think, Uh, but I'm excited as I kind of sense where God's leading us as a church, and so I'm excited for that. But today we're going to wrap up the series on dealing with sin, and I titled the sermon today, Wait, He Loves Me. Would you just turn to your neighbor and say, wait, come on, come on, come on, He loves me. All right, now if you don't have a neighbor around you, kind of sporadic, okay, uh, why are we so afraid to sit on the front, by the way, um, just, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we're, not, we're not afraid of the front church, are we? No. Um, so let's not be afraid of the, of the front. Would you just, again, just say it with some authority. Would you say, wait, he loves me? Tell somebody that. No, I saw some of you didn't say it. You just stared at me. Man, I'm trying to have some fun today. Can we have some fun in church today? <laughs> That's fun. Woo! Well, woo is fun. That's hilarious. We don't know what else to do, right? Well, woo! All right. He loves me. Wait, he loves me. Man, if you just walk out of here with that, then, then we're good. Wait, he, he loves me, okay? I want to go back for a minute and uh, just to kind of recall, and these statements are at the top of your sermon notes if you have them, and a few statements from this series from, that I wanted to just kind of put back into our mind as we open God's word today. Uh, the first one was, we talked about repentance. You'll see the top of your notes just to repent. And to repent means to ultimately, it's like to change the way you, you think. It's, the, it's changing your thinking, the way that you think about things. Repentance ultimately is the very act of turning to God. Anytime you turn to God, you're, you're going to get a fresh way of thinking. You're repenting. You're turning to God. It's the very act of going to God. It's not just turning away from sin as much as it is turning to God, and I'm changing the way that I'm thinking. And I remember a couple of weeks back, and let me remind you again as a loving pastor, right, to remind you of a decision that many people made. All of you, so many of you stood up and you repented, which meant you said, I'm going to start to change the way I think. I'm just curious, over the past couple of weeks, how many of you have seen a shift in your thinking? Raise your hand. A shift in your thinking. Amen. A shift in your thinking. So let's keep that thought that I'm... God is shifting the way that I'm thinking. And the reason this is important to remember is because of this. The things that destroy our lives, this is in your notes, the most often begins with a thought. We talked about that last week. The things that destroy our lives the most often begins in our thinking. Satan doesn't care if you believe in God. Don't remember remember this. He only cares if you believe God. He cares if you actually believe what he has to say. He doesn't care if you believe in him. He cares if you believe him and what he says. Faith ultimately is believing what God says is actually true, and then acting on that belief. Do you have faith? Faith to believe what God says is actually true, but then the important part is acting on that belief that is faith. So with all that in in your mind, write this down if you would. Any deep change, keeping the same thought, in the way we live begins with a change in the way that we think. It starts in the mind. You want to change behavior, change the way you think. You got to change the way you think. And we're going to stick into that line, change the way you think. The more I meditated on this word today and over this past week and what we're going to be walking into as a church is God is on a mission to change the way you think. In fact, when you look at Jesus in scripture, he's constantly trying to help people change the way they think change the way you think. That's the first words of John the Baptist when he says repent. What's he saying? Change. Okay. 
So we got a couple of A students, a few B students, a lot of C students, and maybe some Ds and Fs. So let's do this again. When John the Baptist yells out, repent, he's yelling out, change the way you think. There you go. Now we're all on the same page. He's trying to get them to change the way they think. So much of what God is doing in us is just getting us to change our thinking. Don't focus so much on behavior, change on the thinking, then the thinking will lead to the behavior. That's the whole point. This week I realized this story that Jesus is on this mission trying to get me and you to change the way we think. Always and forever, right? Just keep changing the way you think about a circumstance, the way you think about marriage, the way you think about money, the way you think about provision, the way you think about grace, and so on and so on. So in Romans, the book of Romans, if you have your Bible, you can turn it open. If you use your phone, Romans chapter one, that's where we're gonna be. Paul writes to some Jews in Rome. We know his audience is Jews because of verse 17. But he writes to these audience of Jewish people and he wants them to change ultimately the way that they think. And I wanna pause for just a minute and I just wanna be prompted to keep Israel in our hearts and our minds because I just thought about the Jewish nation, of course. And so if you would keep Israel in your heart, God's people in your heart with what's happened over the past couple of days, amen. And we pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ and those that are there and affected. And so I just, I say this to you, just to keep an eye on Israel, amen. If you wanna keep an eye on the end times, keep an eye on Israel, was driving in my car yesterday. Now I'm going on a tangent. I can't help myself. I was, you know, heard about everything that happened and started praying for Israel. And then, I'm not kidding, the next, like, story in the news, whatever I was watching, was about an earthquake. And then another tsunami. And I'm like, okay, Jesus. I'm down. You ready? I'm going to So, um, no. There's so many lost people. God's so graciously waiting for so many more to turn. And so I'm thankful he hasn't come back yet because so many people still need him. Amen? Romans 1.16, are you there? If you're not there, I could be lying to you. That's my warning. All right, so <laughs> I always tell people, bring your Bible or at least go home and double check what I preach because, or anybody preaches, right? Like, you never know. Unless you know. Does that make sense? We're going to have some fun today. I'm going to get you all smiling before this day is over. The joy of the Lord is your strength. I dare you to smile at somebody. Go ahead. Just turn around and smile. I feel like somebody needs to smile. Can you smile? I see. How come some of you aren't smiling? Come on. Let's have some fun. All right. Here we go. I'm jumping in. Paul writes trying to change the way they think. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. The word salvation is the word I want to focus on. It's the meaning of it is deliverance. By personal deliverance or national deliverance, the gospel delivers people from the power of sin. It's deliverance. You've heard the term in church world, need deliverance. Somebody, you need deliverance. Tell the person next to you, you need deliverance. <laughs> no, deliverance, it's from the power of the penalty of sin. Sometimes that word can be taken out of context, right? We can overuse that language. But deliverance is salvation. That means I'm delivered from the penalty of sin. Jesus removes our sin. Death no longer is to the end of the road. And I put that line in there and I thought of boys to men immediately. I was going to get you laughing today. To the end of the road? Do you know it? Yeah. To the, ah, there you go. The end of the road. All right, all right, all right. All right. Some then Paul begins to describe with that in mind, all right? Talking about salvation. Here's what he says, and now I'm getting into this a little more serious. Paul is going to hit it right in their face. I'm talking about some bad news. And here's what he says. Paul says to these Jews in Rome, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all 
the godlessness and wickedness of the people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They suppress the truth. The father of lies, the enemy. They suppress the truth. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. In other words, people are willing to use God's gifts but not give God credit for the gifts that they have. They, they will take advantage of God's resources but never give him the glory that he deserves for the one who provides the resources. This is where the people are. Goes on to say, and these are some people, but this isn't everybody. These are just some Jewish people, right? But he goes, for although they knew God, these people, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But look at this line, it says, but their thinking, their thinking Something shifted in their thinking. You got to see that. Became futile. Their thinking changed. And when their thinking changed, it led to these foolish hearts and they became darkened. But the issue started in the mind. He says, although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles and all these false pagan gods. Write this into your notes. An idol is any noun, meaning it's a person, place, or thing that we look to as our source. That's what an idol is. That's idolatry. You look to anything as your source other than God. And so you have all these false pagan gods, a God that brings fertility, a God that brings water, a God that brings rain, a God that brings sun, a God that brings provision, a God that protects, all of these false gods, that, that ultimately there was these different gods that would provide the source. This is an idol. And these people have begun to believe a lie. In fact, the very first lie that Satan used in the garden, he said, you shall be like God. It's a lie. This lie is where we begin to believe the lie that we are our own God. We can do what we want to do. I brought that up last week. We can spend how we want to spend. We can do what we please. We're our own source. We answer to no one. How many have heard this statement or said this statement? We can do anything we put our, look at you, idolaters. No, look, <laughs> think about, and I'm not, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I wrote this line and I want to be careful, okay? I'm not saying that, but, but I just want you to think about the potential deceit in this sentence. Come on, change the way you think. We can do anything we put our mind to. And we do that in the name of encouraging someone. You can do anything you put your mind to. Can I just be real and say, no, you can't? You can do anything you put your mind to. Where is God in that? I can do all things through Christ. Don't leave him out. So sneaky how easy it is to get into our language. I can do anything I put my mind to. No, 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 no. I do all things through Christ. He provides. I can do anything he calls me to. So just begin to change the language. You can do anything change your, put your mind to. No, no, no. I can do anything God calls me to. Just don't leave out the God in this. He's trying to get them to change the way they think. And when we leave God as our source, it has consequences. And this is what he says. There's verse 24. Therefore, God gave them over to the sinful desires of their hearts, to sexual impurity, for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie. Notice the changing of thinking. And worshiped and served created things rather than the creator, who is forever praised. Amen. Verse 28. It says, furthermore, just as they did not think. They didn't think about it. 
Guys don't understand that. You ever been in a situation where the, your spouse asks you something or, you know, and you're like, you said something and then you shouldn't have said it. You said, I didn't think about what I was, I didn't think first, I should have thought first. You ever said something in your life ever before and you, you wish you would have just closed your mouth and not said it because you didn't think about it first? Thank you. I feel like. Didn't think about it. It says, they just didn't think it was worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind. Look at all of this language about mind and their thinking. So they do, the behavior follows the thinking, so that they do what ought not to be done. It started in their mind, then it changed to their behavior. A depraved mind is a mind that cannot form right judgments. They, they couldn't see straight. They couldn't form right judgments. And here's what ultimately happens, this depraved mind. They can't form right judgments. Here's what ultimately, here's the scenario, the culture that they're in. They don't want to think about God. They don't want to talk about God. He's completely shut out of their mind. This is the world in which they are in. And so God allows them to be fully left to the consequences that they will get as a result of that thinking. And then it tells us the kind of world that they're living in. And none of you will relate to any of these. So don't worry, that's not our world today. Ready? Romans 1, 29, 32 says, They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. There's gossipers and slanders and God-haters and insolent, arrogant, and boastful. Nobody knows anybody that's arrogant and boastful. And it says they, inv they invent ways of doing evil. They invent ways of doing evil. Man, they're just creating stuff up. How to be more evil. Again, this is not the world we live in today. They disobey their parents. That never happens. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death. They not only continue to do these very things, watch this, they also approve of those who practice them. Not only do they ignore God, they lead others to do the same thing. This is a broken culture. This is a group of people that Paul is trying to minister to and to reach. And after describing to these people, he turns the attention of the reader, his audience, these Jewish people, and he says, but I have some good news. Here's the good news. There was some bad news. God's going to pour out his wrath, but now there's some good news coming. And here's what he says in Romans 2.1. He says, you, speaking to the Jews, which we know again in verse 17. If you just go down to Romans 2, 17, you'll see that his audience is Jewish people. It says, you, therefore, have no excuse. You who pass judgment on someone else. For whatever point you judge one another, you're condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same thing. And the audience is very important when I say that to you. Now, we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? And that's the part I want to preach on the most. It's God's kindness that's intended to lead you to repentance. For a Jewish believer, this is important as our audience, they believed they were free of God's judgment because they were God's chosen people. So when the Jews condemned the Gentiles, they were really condemning themselves. And the Jews were constantly on top of the Gentiles for their behavior. And Paul is coming in a step in and says, this whole thing is not based on behavior. And if it is, you're screwed too. This is his whole point. When you condemn them, you're condemning yourself if you're basing this whole thing on behavior. The Jews had a religion of outward action, but not of inward attitude. Their attitude, their hearts were, were not in the right place, although their actions showed one thing. His pushes, God cares way more about the heart. If you read verse 16 of chapter 2, he says that God judges the inside. He's like God's looking at the inside of you. He examines the heart of this. And he's trying to get them to change the way that they think about how they're dealing with sin. Especially when it comes to other people, how they interact with other people. Paul says, you haven't realized that the way in which God leads people to repent isn't by yelling at him and screaming at him, but it's by his kindness. The word kindness means his goodness, his mercy. He's so good. God had sent his son to save Israel, but Israel put him on a cross. 
This is whole, Paul's whole point of this gospel message that this is such good news. He wants to lead them to where God wants them. And he says he, he's going to do that through his goodness. Paul wants them to change the way they think about and what leads to change the way we think. In other words, he says, write this into your notes. We change the way we think when we think of God's goodness. We change the way we think when we think of God's goodness. Before I unpack that, I want to take you back for just a minute, one more time in our series. Sin has two primary functions. Destroy our relationship with God and other people. That's why the Ten Commandments were given. It wasn't about how to get people to Jesus. It was about how for them to function with one another, to show what it's like to have a relationship with God and each other in his kingdom. This is how it should look. Of course, they weren't able to do it. And what God is trying to demonstrate to the Jews in Israel and then eventually to us is that we need a savior. Anytime we sin, ultimately it destroys a relationship with us, with one another, and with, with God. This is what God's trying to demonstrate. So let me unpack this statement when we change the way we think we think of God's goodness. If you want to change the way you think, just think of God's goodness. When my kids sin against me, I'll explain what I mean by that. I say to them, you broke a relationship. I think I've mentioned this before. From time to time, my kids sin. I know. I know. I'm a pastor, and they should never sin. I know. Our expectation. Um, they sin. They sin bad. I mean, horrible sinners. And I'm... Do any of you... Ha- I just need some hope today. Do any of you have any kids that you're worried about? Okay. Did your parents worry about you? I'm just wondering, too. Okay. <laughs> this seems like it just goes on. Like, man, I'm kind of worried about him or her. So I, 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 I help this... I hope this is so applicable for you today. You have grandkids or family members or friends, you know, even if you don't have kids or you're not married, like, this still is applicable. I hope you get this. So when my, my children, or one of them, or multiple of them, sin against me, well, here's what I mean by that. Let's take, keep a secret, lie, hold something in. And, and, and this, this happens and, and when it happens, or they deceive something, they don't tell the full truth, they tell a little bit of the truth. I begin to, one, scream at them. No, I don't, but sometimes I do. And, you know, you kind of get frustrated, you get mad, and whatever. And then, but eventually, here's what I do I, most of the time. I, I get on their level, I talk with them. I'm not saying I'm a perfect parent, but I do, I do my best to do this. And I begin to explain to them what that did to our relationship. Because I want them to see that the, that the sin that occurred, the thing that happened, is trying to separate our relationship. And then if I'm feeling really spiritual, I'll point it back to the enemy, just to bring in Satan so that they understand that we're in a spiritual world. And we don't fight against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers of darkness. And so I'll say, I want you to see, and there's this enemy who wants to destroy our relationship. I did this with my son recently. I think I told this story. He had lied to me. And uh, so I sit him down and say, man, why, you, why did you lie? Rather than just getting mad that he lied, why, why did you lie? You know, and then, of course, normally it's a, afraid of getting in trouble or afraid of, you know, getting a consequence. And I'm like, now you're going to get worse, you know. And <laughs> have you done that before? Well, now it's worse than now the wrath is really coming, as if that's going to help him for the next time. But, but I say, but here's what's worse about this. Here, here's what the worst is. The worst isn't the, the consequent you're going to get. The worst is what it's going to do to our relationship. And see, I, I, I don't want that to destroy our relationship. Our relationship is getting destroyed. Let's not let that happen. Let's safeguard our relationship. And then Satan is after our relationship. And he wants nothing more than to destroy our relationship. And I try to help them understand that the sin destroys the relationship. 
And so in order to solve the sin problem, we've got to have reconciliation. We've got to reconcile. The word reconcile simply means to restore a relationship, to bring back in working order, to bring back in peace, to, to bring a relationship back in harmony. And here's how I do it. Two ways. I remind him or them of who I am, and then I remind them of who they are. I bring them back to this place. Do you know who I am? I'm your dad, and I love you so much. I'm telling you, I will never give you bad advice. I mean, I might, because I'm not perfect, but I'll do my best. I, and I, when I begin to do that as a dad, I begin to just really feel like, gosh, I hope you believe me. Like, my advice is like the best. I'm telling you. And you know why that is? Because you're my son or you're my daughter. And this is just, I'm preaching from my own life. Like, I do that in the moment. Have you ever told something to your child? I do this all the time. I'm, I'm talking to my kids, and I'm preaching good sermons to them, you know, and I'm telling the truth. And then God's like, that's for you. And sometimes I think that they got in trouble just so God could teach me a lesson, you know. And, and, and so I'm like, do you know who I am? And immediately, it's like God's voice comes over me. He's like, do you know who I am? And, and I'm doing this conversation with my kids, and I'm trying to help them understand who I am and who they are. I'm trying to get them to change the way that they think. And I do that by reminding them of who I am, of who I am, and who they are to me. And so I go to lines like and words like, and I love you. Have I ever lied to you? Okay, no, one time. But have I ever lied to you? And I was like, you know, but have I ever, have I ever done anything to mislead you? You know, and like, no, no. Th then why won't you trust me? And most of the time it's rooted in fear. And fear does not come from God. So I'm trying to get them to change the way that they think. It's his goodness that leads us to changing the way we think, is what Paul wrote. If you want to lead people to repentance, changing the way they think, God does that through what? His goodness. It is so important. As you walk in life, and as sin and temptation comes around you, you got to think about his goodness. And if you can think about his goodness, if I can think about his goodness, it'll lead me to changing the way that I think on a matter. It's his goodness. James 4, 7, the brother of Jesus writes this, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Submit, resist, results in Satan fleeing. It doesn't say resist the devil, it says submit to God first, then resist the devil, then Satan, the Greek word means to fly away. Anybody need Satan to fly away from their life at all right now? Anybody know somebody who, man, you could use some, I need, get, I need to get Satan to fly away from you, you know? You're thinking of your bosses, your coworkers, and what's funny is you thought of someone else. None of you thought of yourself, you know? No, no, no. But I thought of a couple people. Submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, he will flee from you. The word submit means to arrange under. Now watch me on this, please. Follow me on this. Submit yourselves means, the word submit means to arrange under. Resist means to oppose the devil. I'm going to withstand 
against the devil. And I'm going to do that by what? Watch this. Getting my relationship with God in the proper order. I'm not God. You are God. I'm not the source. You are the source. Anytime you put, you reconcile the relationship in its proper order, Satan goes. Which means anytime we're tempted, the temptation is to change the order, to change the relationship, to put anything on, on top of God, yourself, your provision, someone else, another God. He says, you just got to get some things in the proper order. Get God on top. You underneath them, Satan goes. Submit to the Lord. Resist the devil. And he goes. And he flies away. When we get our relationship with God in the proper order, the enemy flees. In other words, when we remember who he is, God, and who we are, sons and daughters, Satan goes. Andrews, I'm feeling a little Pentecostal. Come up here for just a second. No, I'm joking with that. I really am. Some of you come up to me. I'm looking for Pentecostal people, and so I'm trying to get my Pentecostal people excited. See, there's one. Okay, so... <laughs> Thanks, bro. Appreciate that. All right. No, I, I asked Andrews to come up because... Uh, I, I, some people have been asking me, man, do you have a, I got asked this week, do you, do you have a prop? What's your prop this week? What's your prop? And so I didn't have a prop, so I said, Andrews, will you be my prop? So Andrews is going to be my prop. Um, I need you to get this. I, wanna, I, want, I want something to be in, imparted to you right now. This is a simple message preached, but it's sometimes a hard message to, to really get. But if you get it, it's going to change your whole life. It, it'll, change the way you, it'll change the way you think. It's going to change the way you behave. It's going to change your whole life. Like literally in these next few minutes, your whole life will change if you allow this to be imparted to you. That means get it inserted. Not just here. The Jews had a lot of this. It's the heart. A lot of outward action, but not a lot of inward change. What, what was the barrier? You know the barriers for the Jewish people that Paul's writing to? You know what the barrier was? It's the cross. They didn't know the cross was for them. They didn't understand the Messiah had come. The king had laid down his life. That's why Paul said at the very beginning of Romans 1, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the power of salvation. It's the gospel and you're missing it, it's the cross. That's why I want to remind you today of who he is, get the relationship right, who he is, and who you are. So as I was reflecting on this, whenever you're tempted to fall into a sin, just want you to consider his love for you. And if somehow, in some way, you could just say the words, wait, he loves me. Just imagine my son or my daughter thinking of telling me a lie. You know what I would love to hear them? I would love to know that they could say to themselves, wait, my dad loves me. Hold on a second. Wait. He loves me. Wait. He, he loves me. Would you imagine in a scenario where you are about to engage in a sin? Completely disobeying him in some form or fashion. And wait. He, he, he loves me. God's calling me to do something and 
I don't know if I can do it. Waity, waity. He loves me. Proper order. You're putting yourself in the proper order, reconciling in the relationship. Enemy goes, wait, he loves me. He loves me. How could I not? He loves me. The beginning of uh, my ministry days, um, somewhere in the first couple of years, 2007, 2008, something like that, there was a song that came out. And I began to think about this song this week with the sermon today. And, uh, and I remember when I heard this song, and I began to listen to the song, and I began to actually say the lyrics. And when I began to sing the lyrics, it took me back. You ever hear a song and it takes you back? Anybody? You know, you hear a lyric and you're like, oh, I remember that. Oh, shoot. I remember, oh, I remember that. <laughs> you ever do that before? You know, you listen to a song, and an old song comes on the radio, and all of a sudden, man, it just takes you back. Watch this. So I'm listening, I'm seeing these lyrics, literally, as I'm preparing for the sermon today that I felt like God wanted me to give you. And I'm preparing this in my heart. And I started thinking of these lyrics and it took me back. And I was like, oh my gosh, I forgot about that. And the Lord's like, yeah. Yeah, you did. Yeah. So I remember the moment when I heard the song, I was driving in my wife's truck. That's why I married her really, because I'm from Texas and she had a truck. So it was obvious. But I was driving my wife's truck and I, this song came on or, you know, and uh, I, just, I became wrecked by it. That I pulled over and I remember the parking lot near USF. Like I was over there and driving on this 56 road and I was by USF and um, on Fowler and I remember exactly where I was and I pulled over in this parking lot and it was raining. I just turned up the music, I put the car in park, and I just began to weep and sing. I remember that. And, and the song had some lyrics, and some of you might know it. And it started with, he is jealous for me. Some of the head nodding, oh yeah, I remember that. He is jealous for me. Loves like a hurricane, I am a tree. Bending beneath the weight of his wind and mercy. When all of a sudden, I'm, I am unaware of his afflictions by glory. And then I realize just how beautiful, you come on, help me out, you are. And how great your affections are for me. And oh, you know, thank you, Andrews, for helping me. That's my problem. his portion and he is our prize drawn to redemption by the grace in his eyes and if his grace is an ocean we're all sinking and then if and then if you were if you were really like Christian you would do the Kim Walker haha you know the laugh in between some of you People know what I'm talking about. Some of you don't. That's okay. You should go back and listen to it. Kim Walker version. She's like, ha ha. And then that's how you knew somebody was trying to repeat something. Like, ha ha. And they, don't, they would laugh where she, anyways. We're all sinking. And then this became the part that people were debating if you could sing in churches. And so the lyric changed. How many of you guys know what I'm talking about? How many of you have no clue what I'm talking about? That's okay. How he loves you. Now watch. There was a line in the lyric, and they changed it in churches because it just felt like, I don't know if you can sing that. The line in the lyric was, so heaven meets earth like a sloppy wet kiss. And I'm not going to lie, when I first heard that, I was like, 
have. <laughs> and something started to change. Because of the next line, heaven meets earth like a sloppy wet kiss and my heart, heart beats what? Violently inside of my chest. Heaven meets earth like a sloppy wet kiss and my heart beats violently inside of my chest. And I just can't what? Anybody know? Maintain these, re thank you, Andrews. Maintain these regrets. Watch this, watch, watch, watch. Listen to me, come on. My heart beats violently inside of my chest when I just can't maintain these regrets when I think about, when I think about, when I think about, when I think about, when I think about how much he loves me. Wait, he loves me. Whenever you are tempted to give up in faith, wait, he loves me. This is Paul's gospel to the Jewish people. The gospel, he, he loves you. It's his kindness that leads people to change the way they're thinking. It's his goodness. The way if you want to change someone's thinking about Christ, remind them of his love for them. Not by just saying he loves you, but helping them understand the depth of his love. That's when real transformation happens in your life. When you begin to realize how much he loves you. You change the way you think by thinking about his goodness. You think about your financial situation at home. Wait a minute, he loves me. He loves me. You think about your health. Wait, he loves me. You think about giving up on faith? Wait, he loves me. You think about not accepting him as Lord of your life? Wait, he loves me. If we could just learn to say, wait, he loves me. Wait, he loves me. Can you just sing a couple of bars or lines? Can you just hear this, church? Let it meditate in your heart. He loves us. Come on. I'm trying to encourage you today, church. Is it working? for somebody. Here's my first one. You came here today and I want to tell you something. Scripture says in 2 Corinthians 6, as God partners, we beg you not to accept this marvelous gift of God's kindness and then ignore it. Would you not ignore his goodness? Today is the day you stop ignoring the cross. Can I remind somebody today you need to remember the cross and that was done for you. In fact, you've heard that said so many times it's become a religious thing. It's not a religious thing, it's a relationship thing and he hung on a cross because he loves you. Don't ignore it. Then the next verse says and it begins to read on, today is the day of salvation. Not tomorrow, today is the day of salvation. 
So don't try to jump out of here because today you came today and today is the day of salvation. Why? And before you decide on salvation, the temptation of salvation is, but I'm going to have to do something. That's the lie. You are not saved by your works. You are saved by grace alone. Today is the day of salvation. Don't ignore the cross. This is what Paul's message is to the Corinthian church. It's the same message that he preaches throughout the New Testament. Today's the day of salvation. Wait. He loves me. The second one comes out of I don't have time to unpack it, but it's John 11. It's the story of Lazarus. Lazarus is a dead man. His sisters come running to him. He's dead. He's sick. He's infected with the disease of sickness, of sin. I'll make it spiritual, help you understand the practical teaching in this, the spiritual implication to the story. But he's sick, and he's dead. He's been dead for a couple of days. And everybody thinks it's done and it's finished and Jesus shows up and says he's not dead and the part that I love about the story the most is how he resurrects from the dead he comes out and he's all wrapped in linen and Jesus doesn't leave him there he says I love the line he says in John 11 44 he says or 43 he says take off his grave clothes I came to tell somebody today God wants to take off your grave clothes. Take off the grave clothes. Walk in his robe of righteousness. Not because of what you do, but because of what he accomplished. It's time to start living like you don't have grave clothes on. I thought about decorating my whole self in some Halloween costume. If I need to illustrate this to you further, and maybe one day I will, if that's what it takes to get you to do it. But some of you guys stop walking around in grave clothes. Stop walking around in grave clothes. I'm not talking about just in sin. I'm talking about acting like you don't have a father who loves you. I'm talking about taking off the grave clothes. I, I walk in freedom. I serve a God who loves me. Come on, sing it out. I sing a God. I sing, I sing to a God who loves me. Oh, he loves me. I'm not ashamed to sing to him. Come on, you didn't come here to focus on me. I don't get the glory. Don't look at me. Look at him. He loves us, church. He loves you. Yeah. in the room um, I believe there's a man in this room you need to hear these words he loves you he loves you need to hear those words and you're a man in this room would you just tell right now and just just say these words wait wait he he loves me not like a question but as a statement wait he loves me so I don't have to do that I, I am the righteousness of God I am his child me. And today is the day of salvation for you. It's not tomorrow, it's today. And he wants you to know today is the day. 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 If that spoke to you, would you lift your hand right where you are in the room? 
the day. Today's the day. Today's the day. I see hands all over the room. Today's the day. Wait, he loves me. 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 Wait, Jesus, every hand that is lifted, I pray an impression on their heart that only can be done by the power of your spirit that you love them. Seal it in their hearts for the remainder of their life. And when temptation comes, when the enemy comes, Lord, I pray that you would remind them, wait, he loves me. He does not condemn me. He loves me. Jesus, we walk in freedom today because of the cross. We walk in freedom because of what you did for us. And I pray, Lord, over this body of people that their minds would change and their shift in thinking what would occur because at the root of it all, of how good you are, that your kindness and mercy extends and it never runs dry. So, Lord, let your will be done in their life. In Jesus' name. And if you're thankful to the Lord, would you just say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. You are good to me. You're provider. You are alpha. You're omega, beginning and the end. You can accomplish all things. Anything you start, you will finish. You can do immeasurably more than I can think or imagine. Jesus, you are wonderful, too wonderful for me. Your ways are higher than my ways. Your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. I'm putting things in proper order today. Jesus, we love you. Lord, we love you.